Rome built the first World Wide Web, and it's leading us into the future. Sick, so uh, the union sent me. Yeah, as soon as I find a ladder, I'll be right up. Mm -hmm. W. Hello, my friend, and welcome to the WW Radio Show. Your Walt Disney World Information Station. I am your host, Lou Mangiello, and this is show number 644, and together we're going to celebrate the magic of the Disney parks, movies, and more, as together we go from the parks to the screens and everything in between, here on the podcast, through live videos on Facebook, on our community, blog, and much more. Please be sure to subscribe to the podcast in Apple Podcasts or Spotify, and find everything else at www.radio.com. So former Walt Disney World Vice President and Disneyland Paris opening team manager Dan Cockrell joins me once again to share even more secrets and stories from the Disney parks, including tales from Paris and Walt Disney World you've never heard before, as well as some nostalgia, a little bit of Walt Disney in the parks, some practical advice for you, and much more. I'll then have the answer to our last Walt Disney World trivia question of the week and pose a new challenge for your chance to win a Disney prize package. Then stay tuned to the end of the show as I'll have more updates, details about our next meet of the month and other special events, both in Walt Disney World and at sea, your voicemails and more. So sit back, relax, and enjoy this week's episode of the WW Radio Show. The Disney parks are replete with stories. It's why we go and why we go back year after year. And those stories are told with what is presented on stage, on screen, and on attractions. And of course, there's always stories behind the stories, the how, why, and sometimes more importantly, the who make these magical moments and experiences. And a very wise man once said that it takes people to make a dream a reality. And one of those people is Dan Cockrell. He is the former vice president of Magic Kingdom, of Epcot, Disney's Hollywood Studios at Walt Disney World, among many other roles. Dan's been on the show in the past, back on show 521, just after he retired from Walt Disney World. He also joined me most recently on show 585 to share some amazing, by the way, including what almost became of Galaxy's Edge, untold stories from Walt Disney World. And today he is back to share more stories from the parks and resorts that you probably have never heard before. So, Dan, welcome. Great to see you again. You too, Lou. I always enjoy being with you. This is always fun. Yeah, we had a, we had a great time last last time. And uh, some of the stories that you told, especially from, from Star Wars, really resonated with people. Because, like I said, those are ones we haven't heard before. And especially a lot of us who are very deep into the star into the into the disney universe sometimes you feel like you've seen and heard it all so having the opportunity to hear 
from you, especially in all the different roles you've had, both here domestically as, as well as overseas, uh, really is a treat. And normally, you know, my attorney background has me very well prepared and I've got my list of questions and I've done all my research. We go into these blind. I am coming in just sitting back and relaxing and letting you do your thing. So um, I am Perfect. very curious, one, as to how things have been going for you, and two, where you want to take us first. Yeah, thanks, Lou. I, I um, Things have been going well, I'll tell you. I think everyone's seeing that. We're starting to see um, activity, you know, go back to March of last year and you know, six months worth of speeches and workshops were like gone overnight. And it was not, it was kind of unsettling. And I wasn't, you know, I was just one person of millions of people who ran into that. I know it's been very challenging for everyone who's been on furlough. And um, I think hopefully people are going to come out of this being better, being more appreciative of what they have today. You know, when things go well and, um, and you don't really know how precious everything is, family and your job and those kind of things. So I've really, um, I'm a big on making, you know, when you, life gives you lemons, make lemonade. And so get the best out of this. And just remember, when you go back to your job and everything seems halfway normal, be appreciative of that. Don't take it, don't take it for granted. Um, but yeah, we're starting to see uh, more companies uh, looking to hire uh, speakers and, and looking for help. And so we're starting to see some movement again, which is really nice. And, um, you know, we moved back, we moved to Colorado, sold our house in Orlando and moved to Colorado back in December. And since, um, let me see, if I take May, June and July all together, we'll have been in Colorado for eight days during those three months. So we haven't spent a whole bunch of time there. Um, our daughter lives there. So she took our uh, blue, our dog for three months. We said, look, if this works out. Maybe we'll babysit blue and you can have her. <laughs> so we're going to do an exchange program. But um, we spent some time in Puerto Rico doing some work. We were in Orlando uh, for a couple of keynotes. And then at the end of May, we flew to France to uh, spend a couple months visiting my wife's family. Uh, she's from uh, Lyon in the South of France. And, uh, so we've been with her cousins and we've been, um, it's great. My cousin uh, has an office. I've been using his conference room. And so I get up early in the morning. I go to work, uh, get some work done. I go back and have lunch and then usually do all my calls in the afternoon with the time difference with the U.S. So it's been a really nice setup and uh, to kind of do work from here. But uh, Valerie, um, we're not, we're going to head back to the United States uh, at the uh, July 16th. So in a, in a little while. So we have been here a couple months, uh, you know, working, doing stuff. Valerie left for um, um, Namibia and Africa for three weeks to go on a safari with a friend of hers and, and a group. So I'm, I'm here hanging out with my 89 year old mother-in-law and uh, we, uh, it has been fantastic. She's 89 years old. She has a garden. She uh, knits, she uh, walks and hikes she uh, cooks, she drive, has her car, she drives. She, I mean, she is like a powerhouse. And so I, I called my kids the other day. I said, look, I just want to let you all know, you know this, but you have some great genes. You're very lucky because uh, she does her thing. We, we sit down every evening and have a beer and talk about, you know, life. She, uh, she was 11 years old um, at, uh, in 1944 at the end of World War II. Uh, and so she remembers all that. She remembers uh, the Germans invading. She remembers the Americans rolling in and giving her a, a scoop of sugar. She hadn't seen sugar. And like, I don't know if she ever remembered seeing sugar and gave her a scoop of sugar. It was like gold. Um, so anyway, just uh, it was really interesting for an American to hear that because we just have never been invaded. You know, that's not such a different concept. 
But speaking of Disney, I uh, I have um, Valerie. Uh, my wife has a sister, and her sister has three kids, and so she has a bunch of grand nieces and grand nephews. Um, I feel like those are the ducks, right? The the nephews and nieces. But uh, Maylene is a is her five year old grand niece, and her birthday is coming up. And so I took her to Disneyland Paris two days ago. So we got, we, I picked her up at six in the morning at her parents' house. We drove to the airport in Lyon. We got on the TGV and two hours later, we're at Disneyland Paris. We spent the day there um, and then got back. And I hadn't been there in 24 years. Ever since I left back in 1996, I hadn't been back. I've been to France many times, but never went to Disney. And, uh, and we left, we took the uh, 615 train back and had her home by nine o'clock that night. And, um, she was a pretty, uh, pretty impressive. She went for 12 straight hours, but finally, finally I broke her and she passed out on the train. It was kind of a, a, a whose will is stronger. And, uh, I, like I said, I, I sent a note to her parents. I said, I think I broke your daughter. Um, but she had a great day and it was, it was really fun for me to see the park. You know, I just, I have all these memories of having worked there and been there and, uh, it looks great. Um, you know, I'd heard, I'd heard some, some, some conversations previously that had been kind of run down and, you know, Disney um, bought out the rest of the ownership a few years ago. And I think they put like $300 million back into it and they've really done a great job and it looks uh, clean and it wasn't that full. I don't know what percentage they're running at, but it's been only been open for about 10 days. So we spent the day there and I came back with all kinds of memories and I wanted to share some of the stories of the stuff that I remembered working there. Um, First thing was kind of funny. The last job I had was in food and beverage on Main Street at Disneyland Paris. So on the right-hand side of the street, you have the um, uh, Main Street. Uh, there's the uh, cable car bakery. There's the Gibson Girl ice cream shop. Uh, so it's basically where Starbucks and the bakery, all that is at, at Walt Disney World. And so um, I went up to the window and I asked the the lady, I was kind of halfway joking. I said, I like the coffre de capitaine, which is the, the, uh, the captain's chest. And she said, well, what's that? I said, well, it's three cookies and three muffins in this box. And it looks like a captain's chest. She goes, we don't have that. And I said, well, you, you sold it before. And she said, when? And I said, 24 years ago when I worked here, <laughs> you sold it. And she looked at me like I was crazy. And she, I kind of smiled a little bit. She said, well, sir. And she was very polite in French. She said, sir, just to let you know, I wasn't born yet. So <laughs> I don't know anything about that. <laughs> so I kind of did the old man. I, I, I wandered off mumbling, you know, why do I got to change everything? Everything's changing around here all the time. So that was kind of funny, but um, yeah. So when I opened Disneyland Paris back in uh, 92, I was a management trainee in the parking lot. And that was a, that was a wild ride. I had a, um, um, a, a few things had happened. We opened in April and then um, about a month later, you know, you have the two cent, the All Saints holidays. So the, the weekends, the, the week is very slow, but the weekends we were getting like 60, 70,000 people. I mean, we were just getting overrun, really popular. And it's the first time we had dealt with that kind, those kind of crowds. And um, the, uh, you know, the Evan Auto Plaza that goes all the way down to property and goes on the A4, just kind of like the I-4, the, the highway. And um, I got on my... Um, I got on my scooter because the, the, the traffic was backed up at the auto plaza and I couldn't see the end of it. And the duty manager from the park called me and, you know, I said, what, what's the backup? I'm like, well, let me call you back. So I got on my scooter and started driving and I drove and I drove and I drove and it was backed up all the way off property and then backed up onto the highway for a few miles on the highway. 
And uh, I called back and said, um, uh, kind of like before uh, Apollo 13, I think we got a problem. <laughs> There's like thousands of cars backed up out here. We're going as fast as we can. And so um, that was a big day because we, we were blocking all the traffic on the main highway uh, east out of, um, out of Paris. And uh, so finally, the, the police showed up and they closed the exit. And they started just, they closed the Disney exit. So people just had to keep going straight. And it was like, we're going to keep, get traffic moving again. And um, a, a couple hours later, the, the, uh, they called me again. So what's the backup? And I said, well, there's really not a backup now. We've gotten most of the cars in. They said, well, have they reopened the entrance to the highway yet? And I said, I went out there and looked at it. And I said, no, it's still closed. And he's like, well, we need to get it open. You know, we got room in the park for guests. And um, there was one of those, the, the police had this van, I guess they're in there eating lunch or something. And all these cones were out. And um, I said, well, the cones are out. He goes, well, move the cones, open it. I said, yeah, but the police are in the van. And he said, open it. So I went out, I picked up these cones and moved them and opened it again. And like five cops got out of that van and walked up. I thought they were going to arrest me. Like, what are you doing? Um, and so once again, I called, we got a problem. I'm not supposed to move the cones. And so finally we figured it out, but those are, you know, those are always the growing pains when you're, when you're opening a new park, you just don't know what the forecasts are going to be because you don't have any history. You don't know how people are going to behave when people are going to show up. So those were some wild times. I remember getting to the park. Um, I was the opening manager in the parking lot one day and, um, I got there like six 30 in the morning, got everyone checked in, went out to the parking lot and there was a bus out in the parking lot. And there was like barbecues out there. And I went up. It's a, it's a, a group from Germany who had uh, taken a bus. They chartered a bus. They got there at like, I don't know, three in the morning, slept. And when the sun started to come up, they put the barbecues out. They're out there with sausage, <laughs> grilling. They were drinking beer and singing. Tailgating. And I'm thinking Disney to myself. In the parking lot. <laughs> in the parking lot. And I'm thinking to myself, okay, as a manager, I have to check this out and treat this very seriously. As a former rugby player, this looks like one of the best parties ever. <laughs> so I wanted to join them, but I knew that if I joined them for a few beers early in the morning, that probably wouldn't be a good Disney management move to make. Um, but they were they were having a good time, and there was you know no no harm no foul. They they had they had a good time. But you just never knew what you were going to see. Um, let me see a couple others. So at one point, I was working in guest relations uh, for about a year. So we were dealing with you know a lot of VIP tours, and back then it was kind of a cool place to come, and. Um, I got a call one uh, night and at the time, Valerie and I weren't married yet. We were living together and our roommate, Alessandra Composto, she was from Sicily. The three of us shared a house and uh, I got a call and it was basically they were saying, be at the park at like 6 a.m. tomorrow morning. Um, we have a VIP. We're going to do a tour before the park opens. I said, okay, okay. I hung up and they knew I worked in guest relations. So they knew it must be a VIP coming. And so they're like, who is it? I'm like, who's who? Like, where do you, I said, I got to leave early in the morning. Well, who are you going to meet with? I said, well, you know what? That's confidential. You do, you guys don't work in guest relations. So they were so, they were not happy about that, that I wouldn't tell them who was coming. So I went that morning, I went to the Disneyland hotel. And at the time, Steve Burke, who eventually became the CEO of NBC, he was the president of uh, Disneyland Paris at that point. And uh, he, um, he was there and the director was there and um, a couple other executives and so we picked up the, the VIP at the, the Disneyland hotel and drove to Frontierland. Um, and we walked around Frontierland. This was before the park opened and saw that. And you know, he got to see everything. And then about an hour later, I dropped them, the whole group back off at the hotel and went on my way. 
And so that night we, I get back home and Alessandra and Valerie are there. They're like, all right, now you got to tell us who it was. Cause it's, he's gone now. I said, all right, well, here's the story. I said, I drive up to Disneyland hotel, Steve Burke, all these executives come out and Michael Douglas is with them. And Michael Douglas comes out, gets in the car. We drive backstage. We drive into Frontierland. He really wanted to see Frontierland because the Westerns and all that kind of stuff. He wanted to see how Disney represented the, the old West in, in France. And so he got some pictures and did his thing and took him back to the hotel. And then he got out of the car and he started to walk away. And at one point he, and I hadn't talked to him at all. You know, I hadn't met him, didn't introduce myself. He didn't say anything. He, he turned back around and came up to the, the window. And um, I, I opened the door and stepped out of the car. I said, Mr. Douglas, can I help you? And he said, what's your name? And I said, Dan Cockrell. He said, Dan, have you ever thought about uh, being in the movies? I said, uh, no, I haven't. He goes, well, I'll tell you, you should, you should, you should check it out. I think you, you, you may have some success there. You look. And I said, well, thank you very much. And he went on his way. And the, the, the girls, my, you know, my future wife and Alessandra are like, no way, no way. I said, look, I got to admit to you. Everything about that story was true, except the part of me talking to Michael Douglas. <laughs> so, and once again, they were not happy with me. Um, so that, that was kind of a cool experience. We opened um, um, Space Mountain in 1994. At, uh, that was a couple of years after the park opened. And this was right at the 25th anniversary of the moon landing. Um, and so, um, you know, at the time, Neil Armstrong was not was kind of, hyper introverted and really didn't go to a lot of events. And so Buzz Aldrin would often be seen. He was an outgoing guy. And so they invited him to come to Disneyland Paris for a week for the press event for the opening of Space Mountain. And uh, I got assigned to be with him and his family since I was in guest relations. So I was, they said, Dan, you just make sure he shows up to where he needs to be when he needs to be there. You take care of dinner, breakfast, lunch, dinner. You drive them around, take care of the family. That's your job this week. And so I hung out with him and his family. And interestingly, his son is actually a rocket scientist. He does a lot of consulting in Russia for them and uh, was with Buzz Aldrin. And we talked about lots of stuff, space travel and um, what it was like. And I remember the reporters interviewed him and they asked him what was uh, smoother, the moon landing or Space Mountain launching um, and he said, actually, uh, the moon landing was smoother than Space Mountain was. So they all thought that was kind of funny. And so that was cool to hang out with an astronaut for a week and get to know him. And then um, the other the other thing I remember very well was back in this was June of 94. Um, Francois Mitterrand was the president of France at the time. And um, uh, George H.W. Bush um, was not the president anymore, but he was visiting and they decided they were going to meet at Disneyland Paris with their families and have lunch together. And so um, they showed up and the Secret Service came in advance. You have a smaller Secret Service team than usual because he's not a, he's, he wasn't an acting president, but he still has a group that comes a couple days, an advanced team to take a look at the, the routes and where he's going to go. And so we did all that work with them. And um, actually during the stay, um, they were... Uh, at one point they met in the VIP lounge before they went to the restaurant, the uh, Auberge de Cendrillon, which is a, a restaurant right behind the castle a table service restaurant. And um, they were in the VIP lounge at guest relations and they have a system where when you have security or secret service from two different countries, they all have a, they wear something. I don't, I'm not sure what it is. They all wear something to designate that they're all 
supposed to be there because, you know, they don't know the other secret service, the French secret service, French secret service doesn't know them. So they have a, it's either a lapel pin or there's something they change it. So no one really knows maybe a ring, but it's different colors that the colors change every day. And it's a, a quick way just to make sure when you don't know the, who's in the crowd in a room, you do a quick check. And if everyone has the right color, uh, lapel pin or whatever, you know, they're supposed to be there. And well, one of the, the French secret service agents didn't have the right pin on. And by the time Mitterrand and Bush showed up, they had him pinned down on the ground and handcuffed the, the American secret service. And it was almost an international incident. Um, but they, they got through it. And I guess that guy learned to follow the rules in the future. So anyway, yeah, it was a lot, it was a lot of neat people. It was a great, it was a really cool operation to work in. Um, you know, people always said, well, why wasn't it successful? And I think a big part of it was when you open up six hotels, a uh, retail dining district and a theme park on the same day, there's lots of risks that go along with that. And, you know, Disney, I think has gotten much better at phasing openings. You know, we'll build a park and a hotel and then we'll have three or four more phases in the future. Cause once you build something, it's built and you can't really undo it. And um, I think they've gotten much smarter now about doing the phasing. Once you open something, you see how the guests react to your pricing. They see how they react to your product and you make adjustments along the way as you build new hotels and new parks and new products. And Disneyland Paris was, you know, eight pound Euro Disney. It was one shot. We're going to open it all at once. And what you find out is some of the, the assumptions you made are not the right assumptions. Like we assumed everyone was going to leave the hotel and go to the park to have breakfast. And so the, the, the restaurants weren't built to have enough room capacity for breakfast in the morning. And that to this day is an issue because people still, they want to get up and have their coffee and their croissant and everything at the hotel and the space isn't big enough. And you really not, it's a lot of money to, to enlarge. And so, you know, now they have sort of uh, they'll, they'll serve boxes of lunch of breakfast. You can take back to your room. And, but it was just a good example of every culture, every place you build something, people behave differently. And unless you can anticipate how they're going to behave, you got to really think about how you're designing space, how you're thinking about how big things are, where people are going to spend their time, how long they're going to spend their time. And that story has recurred in Hong Kong and Shanghai, just the behavioral things that, um, that you think you know. But uh, once again, that's what makes the world really interesting. People don't act the same way. And that's a great business learning. I was going to say, it seems like those lessons were learned very quickly with the opening of the parks in Asia, especially from a cultural perspective and, and how things are different there and the expectations are different there than they might have been in, in domestic parks or even Paris. Yeah, I mean, that's a great, a great example is Hong Kong. They, um, you know, they built all the quick service restaurants and the dining rooms were about the same size as the United States. And they ended up having not even close to having enough capacity. And they said, well, what happened? And they said, well, um, when at the time when they first opened, when, uh, you know, when they, a child comes to Hong Kong for at the time, Shanghai wasn't open yet. You have two sets of parents and two sets of grandparents or a mom and a dad and all their parents. So you basically have, you know, six adults and one little kid who's the prince or princess and the family sets up in a fast food restaurant. And they just camp there the whole day and they just come back. The grandparents take them on a ride and come back and the parents take them on a ride and come back. And the, the restaurant, the, the dining room doesn't turn over. So once again, it's really interesting how you it's, I don't know if you could anticipate these things. I guess you could do simulations, but um, you, you're surprised by these things. And once you see them, you're like, well, of course we should have known that we should have known the party side would be this. Cause you know, for years, China it's changing now, but China had a one child policy. So these kids are, there's, you know, probably more only children in China than the whole world. And 
they're treated like, you know, they're, they're the, they're, they're the future of the whole family. So they, the whole family wants to be with them. <laughs> and I know having been to the parks in Asia, I still haven't been to Paris yet. I'm trying to, to rectify that as soon as possible. Sometimes and one of the things that was fascinating to me wasn't just necessarily the bringing of children to table, but especially in places like Tokyo, people would dress up and they would bring their duffies to the table and put their duffies in high chairs and chairs. And you're right. They would sit oh, yeah. there. I remember being in, in Tokyo for breakfast one morning. We were there for a long period of time because we had a group, but there was a couple that was there with their duffy children that was there. I mean, like you said, what looked to be camped out for what was going to be a, a pretty measurable length of time. Yep. Yep. Another cultural piece. And, you know, I think a lot of times as American, you go, man, that's weird. But having lived in France and having traveled around the world, I've, I've gotten beyond that now. I don't think things are weird anymore. I've just realized, you know what? Cultures are different. If you've lived in France or Europe or Asia, you go to the United States, there's a bunch of stuff. You're like, what's up with that? You know, I, I talk to French people when they visit us in, in the United States. I love taking them to 7-Eleven and showing them the super big gulp. <laughs> I'm like, this is America right here. They're like, what, is that a bucket for like a sand bucket for the beach? I'm like, no, we drink out of this. <laughs> It's uh, it's just different. It's different. You know, for people like myself who have never been to Disneyland Paris before, um, obviously, you know, the park is similar, but also very different. If you had to, because I think some people dance, well, I don't need to go to Paris because I've been to Disneyland. I've been to Walt Disney World. It's just another Magic Kingdom. What do you think is the most not to sort of say important differentiator, but what do you think is one of the most important attractors for somebody who has never been to Disneyland Paris, the thing that you need to go and do or the thing you need to go and see? Yeah. Well, I think on one, on one hand, it's fun for me. It's fun to see how they've mixed even the languages, English and French into the signage and into the, because a lot of the fairy tales of Disneyland um, and of Walt Disney World come from Europe. And so these are stories that people know really well. Um, I think the, you know, the, the thing for me was just overall as an impression, it's a compared to Magic Kingdom, it's a pretty new park. You know, it's, it's obviously not as new as it was before. It's almost 30 years old now. But um, it was, uh, it's the craftsmanship, the detail, the, the, the Disneyland Hotel that's right at the main entrance, you walk underneath the hotel to go in the park. That's, that's beautiful. Um, I would say um, Space Mountain is really cool. It was, you know, the, the first one, it was basically um, um, HG Wells and from the earth to the moon, it was based on that story. And it's kind of that um, kind of, it reminds me kind of steampunk architecture um, of, uh, of uh, that attraction. Um, you have Walt's restaurant on main street. Um, just, just seeing, I think, uh, I think the Imagineers had a lot of fun with really kind of amping up all the American stereotypes. I mean, when you go to Frontierland there, um, it's, it, there's something different about it. It just seems more American and more Western. And it's probably because that's sort of the, for a lot of Europeans, that's America, cowboys and wide open spaces and, and that kind of thing. And they get really excited about that. And the other thing I noticed this time around, I think it's always been this way, but the costumes are just fantastic. I don't, I'm not sure if it, they're just have more flair or more style, but it seems like everyone wears them with more, um, and you can tell the cast members in Frontierland and Adventureland, you know, dressed up as pirates. I mean, they're very intricate costumes and they wear it like they, they feel good about wearing them because they're really 
it's kind of like Halloween every day. You get to dress up. And um, I think they like to play that role. Um, so those were some of them. You know, you have the Indiana Jones coaster, which is a, a it goes upside down. It's got a loop to loop on it, which is which is kind of cool. That's not um, I don't think that exists anywhere else. And then, um, you know, then there's a lot of the, uh, you know, there's a lot of sharing now. I think the Spider-Man Marvel just opened at Disneyland Paris, some of those. So there's a lot of sharing and you're going to see some similar things. But just when you look at the architecture, um, there's uh, closed in arcades that run parallel to Main Street. So you can walk up and down Main Street inside. Um, so they really made some improvements, I think, when they built Disneyland Paris and thought through. And when you have a chance to rebuild a park again, you take everything you wish you'd done better the first time around. The hub, you know, the, the central plaza in front of the castle is bigger. Um, they put a dragon underneath. Uh, it wasn't open this time, unfortunately. That was one of my favorite parts is you can go underneath um, Sleeping Beauty's castle. It's Sleeping Beauty's castle at, at Disneyland Paris. And there's a dragon and, and it winds all the way through underground. And you see a stomach breathing up and down. Every once in a while, he wakes up and smoke and fire come out of his mouth. and He goes back to sleep. So there's some, uh, they, they, they really had a, a fun time with yeah, people keep saying the dragon is just a spectacular addition. Yeah, and Maylene and I were excited to see it, but it's they're doing a bunch of refurbishments on the castle. I don't know why they're doing refurbishments. The place was closed for a year, but anyway, that's what that's what's happening. <laughs> um, so let's let's sort of turn back a little bit to to Walt Disney World. So when when is the last time you know? Um, and I know you haven't lived in Orlando for a while, but when's the last time you were you were back in Disney? Um, I'm trying to remember the last time we went in the park, um, it was probably six months, six or nine months ago. And, uh, we had, we had a great experience. I mean, I know it's been, you know, just managing, I just can't imagine. I know how, how hard it is to operate those parks at those capacities when everything is normal, getting people to keep their masks on and keeping track of distances and putting spaces between everyone on attractions, I mean, they worked hard to make that all work. And I think they, they brought all their organizational skills to bear to, uh, to get through that period of time. So it was uh, pretty impressive. So I just had an idea. Um, what if we do something? What if we do something for? What if we do a little Dan Cockrell lightning round? What if I, what if I throw? <laughs> you're like, oh, my God, what did I get myself into? I have no idea because I'm doing this on the fly. What if I just sort of give you Good. some very quick Dan Cockrell Q and A opinions about stuff at the parks, or maybe that you think might want to come to the parks. Um, if you, if they said, okay, Dan, you can bring in what what property or character, or from a film or whatever it might be, would you have would have you always wanted to see brought into the parks for an attraction? Hmm. I was, um, I'll tell you, I've never ridden Tron. I've never been to Shanghai and, um, I know it's not open at magic kingdom yet, but I was a huge fan of Tron back in the day. And even the remix for me, I've, I love science fiction and I, do, I love the color in that movie and the visuals and all that kind of thing. So I think if there was an opportunity to even expand that more, that would be kind of cool. The problem with Tron is, um, a lot of it is visual and you don't really have very strong, real strong characters necessarily. And that's important when you bring these attractions to, uh, to, to Disney, you have to have a strong story behind it. Cause you're not just trying to offer a, an experience. You want people to be, you know, connect with the story and have an emotional connection with it. And uh, Tron is, you know, it looks cool. It's a great ride. It's got, you know, you sit on it. So it's a whole different feel. Um, 
but I'd like to see that expanded. But the problem is, I think that's kind of a niche kind of thing. Mm-hmm. And we got to get something that really appeals to broad audiences. But uh, Tron is uh, a cool one for me. I'm with you, man. And I've ridden Tron in, in Shanghai. I cannot wait for it to come to Tomorrowland here. But but you hit it right on the, on the head. It's even beyond the fact look Tron has a great story and I love the original as well as as the remake I'm, I was sorry that they weren't able to continue on with that franchise although I think that hopefully might change but you're right trying to bring that property and and that environment would be wonderful but there is a huge disconnect because you're right there's there's we don't have that emotional connection to a character or to a, a story so you're bringing in a place and a space, but it doesn't necessarily mean anything to anybody. Right. But I could just imagine, and I'm, for all I know, I've, I uh, finally bought an Oculus 2. I'm, I'm messing around with how to maybe do some um, virtual conferences and I'm playing around with it. I don't know if Tron's been a game yet, but you know, to be on a light cycle and have full control over it and be able to ride like they do in the game, I mean, that for me would be a great, a cool attraction. Yeah. So, all right, that brings me to, to my next question. What do you think the the future is? What do, you, what do you think is next? Because I think what we're expecting to see, and I don't mean tomorrow, but I think in the very near future, in terms of what comes next for the guest experience, the, the levels of interactivity, personalization, AR, VR, because as our at-home experiences increase, because we can do that type of thing in, 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 our, own, in our own homes, how does Disney start to plus up the in-park experience with some of those different elements? Yeah. I mean, that's, that's absolutely going to be challenging because to your point as, uh, as um, cable gets faster and you get higher data rates, you know, games can become even more immersive. And when now with the VR, you can do at home and all those kind of things. Um, I think it's um, if they, if they do it right, they will continue to focus on creating experiences that friends and family do together. Um, that seems to be the key. Even when you look at uh, the new uh, uh, Star Wars hotel, um, you're together as a family going through that experience. So going through it is not enough. You have to do it with others because that's where the emotional, the storytelling comes, the the family memories, the, the magical memories you make together. So I don't know what that's going to look like in the future, but I know Disney's going to have to be careful because technology, a lot of times it's easy to technology to separate people. You know, people are on their phone. They're looking down uh, VR. It, often you're in your own little world on your own. Now you can interact with other avatars, but um, to walk that line between, we want to continue to tap technology. Um, we're going to, they're going to have to continue to, um, you know, this idea of the death of patience, I think is going to continue. People don't want to wait for anything. And so I think Disney will also continue to have um, create a really great base experience, but have all kinds of buy-ups, right? Like they do today. There's tours you can do today. There's other experiences you can do today. Um, You know, not everyone's going to be able to stay at the Star Wars hotel. It's going to be extremely expensive and it's pretty limited, but those experiences will be available for those set of people who have the resources to do those. And um, that's, I know that's been a dilemma for Disney for a long time is, it's, it had always been the, you know, the American dream, apple pie, Chevrolet, and you, ever, you always go to Disney as a kid. And that's not necessarily going to be the case moving forward. The world is changing. And a lot of those experiences are becoming maybe going to be outside the, um, the price point of, of, of certain guests. Um, so 
I would say, the, but the, the ones that continue to come, I think they're going to look at um, shoulder seasons and really keep the pricing as low as they can. And then I think you're going to see Christmas and other periods, the price go way up because there's huge demand during those times and people have the money to spend. And it's a, you know, it's a, a supply and demand economy. But um, I would say that's going to be the big one. Can I watch a show together with my kids? I mean, being with my, my um, little grandniece um, the other day, just just watching her the whole day. It's the closest I've come to feel like a grandparent, you know, it wasn't my kid. And so I wasn't like, and I decided I went into the park and I just decided she is going to call all the shots today. I'm not going to tell her anything. And so we backtracked. I mean, we backtracked. We probably walked 10 times further than we had to. Cause I never told her, well, if we do it in this order, it'll be more efficient. She's like, let's go to pirates. I'm like, let's go. And she's like, let's go to Fantasyland. I want to go to, um, it's a small world, the, the Monde de Poupe. Let's go. We walked all the way across the park. Let's go do pirates again. Okay. We walked all the way across. So for watching her be in total, like she, you could tell she's like, I get to choose everything where we eat, what we have, you know, and um, that was, that was fun to watch. I think when people are in control of their visit, they can make those decisions. But for me, the big one is we did that together. And, uh, you know, I'm, 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 I'm trying hard to be in the American uncle hall of fame here in France. I, I think I have a good <laughs> shot say, at yeah, it. You're, after. you're definitely the cool uncle for her, but look, you know, what you did with her is what I think that every guest wants, right? We want to be able to choose our own adventure. And I think yeah. that, and I think two things, what, what the technology look like looks like isn't necessarily key, but I think what our levels of expectation are going forward is one I think there's there's going to be the desire for almost a gamification of our experience in the parks. We see what they've done with Sorcerers of the Magic Kingdom. I have to imagine that interactive AR type experiences on your phone as you're walking through Fantasyland and you hold your phone up and there's a you know a portal that appears in in a, in a wall. But I think too we want the the personalization of the experience. We want to feel that what we are seeing and doing is specific to us look you can see the guest satisfier for something as simple as your name popping up because of your magic band at the end of small world or your name on yeah. a rock concert poster at uh rock and roller coaster starring aerosmith that is going to continue to increase the feeling that i'm not experiencing the same thing as every other guest in the park but this is something that is specifically tailored to and being addressed to me yeah yeah. And that's, that's, um, you know, I think what you're talking about there is it's how do you create an experience? that's going to be different for everyone. Um, but they still get to do it together. Cause you know, this was the first time I wasn't in a hurry. I wasn't tracking how, how much we had done. I wasn't worried about, are we getting our money's worth? I was just like, I just want to walk and watch and wander around and just enjoy it. And I think a lot of guests, you know, we get so caught up in, um, and I've seen so many kids that like it's 11 o'clock and the kids are shaking the kid. Wake up. We paid money. Watch these fireworks. What are you doing? The <laughs> kid just wants to go to sleep like it or not. <laughs> exactly. So, but you know, some people want to be, some people want to plan and have everything planned out. Other people want to just wander and just, you know, explore the park. And I think um, that's, a, that's going to be a dilemma, but Disney will figure it out. How do you create an opportunity for everyone to experience it the way they want to? And uh, that's, that's the game. That's the game right there. Yeah. If you um 
if if they said, Dan, you know what? Listen, we need you back here. We want you to come back. We, you're you're such a visionary. You're so incredibly handsome. You should have been an actor. But if they <laughs> said to you, um, we want to expand, right? We need to expand here in Walt Disney World. We have all of this property. Um, we are going to give you just sort of unlimited budget to go do your thing. How would you? look to expand would it be a fifth gate uh what would it be what do you think is either what do you either predict would be next for walt disney world in terms of of growth opportunities or what would you as someone who has been on the inside of the company and outside as a as a disney enthusiast like to see next yeah i think more and more, and this is probably part of the the baby boomers who have all the money who are getting you know in their getting their sixties and seventies now. They're like, look, I'm all for going to a theme park, but I want to be comfortable. I want to relax. I don't want to have to deal with all these lines and go. You know, I, hey, kids, you go visit. We're going to be in our cabana over here, or we're going to be in our little suite, or those kind of things. So, I think there's an opportunity whether you build them in the parks or you just have a separate area where kids can just go play. And, you know, I see, I see that all the time at, at, at Disney where next, I remember years and years ago when I was working at uh, Epcot, you know, I, I'd come out of the gate right at uh, test track there. And, you know, the kids, there was always ducks there and the kids were just having a ball chasing the ducks around. And I'm like, we built a hundred million dollar attraction. And the kids don't want to go into test track. They want to play with the ducks. Just put some so, boxes out there. Let them just play with some boxes. and they'll be like, No, exactly. Yeah. yeah. And and I remember when I was little, my friend uh, Wally Weiss, he had these giant Legos and you could build like a real size playhouse with Legos. And I thought that was the coolest thing ever. And I still do. So I think there's something there for, um, Get, going back to simplicity a little bit and having people relax and just set up these night. That's what Walt Disney did originally. I just want to set up a nice relaxing environment where families can enjoy their time together. And the world has pushed and pushed and pushed for speed and efficiency and all these things. And I think there's an opportunity and I think uh, guests would, that would resonate with them is we're going to build some kind of, you know, I don't know, nature park. And we're going to have all these different playgrounds for the year zero to three. And then you're four to eight and they're going to be different and all the way up to, you know, I don't know, 21 and over. And it's going to be, you know, zip lines and, and these things where, and you can hang out and you can, you know, take a nap and you can, they'll bring food for you and you can um, play games with your kids and play some board games. And every once in a while, there's some animation that happens. And I, I don't know what that looks like, but I think there's a point where um, I see it with my kids. Um, they want, they want authentic, genuine experiences. And um, I think there's an opportunity to fill that gap somehow. Um, I know another one that they'd been brainstorming for years is, you know, what's the equivalent and Star Wars hotels a little bit about what's the equivalent of an on land cruise? What if you could check into a hotel and you'd, you were a, a property and you'd be there for a week and you'd never leave and everything was done for you. And it was like a cruise, but you didn't go anywhere. You're just in that place. I think people just want to go in and just not have to think about things and not have to plan and just relax and let their kids just be kids and do what they want to do and uh, um, find that simplicity. So I don't know quite know what that looks like, but you know, obviously attractions are going to continue to be created. Uh, the pop culture is going to continue. Disney's going to continue to create new franchises and they'll build attractions around those. But there is something about that, that simplicity piece you hear about, you know, when you were younger and you went to the lake with your friend's family and, you know, just, those are some great memories. How do you recreate that 
Um, now I don't know how you make enough money with right. Disney has to do. So that's a, that's, a, that's, you know, there's margins and all kinds of other questions you have to work your way through, but that's, that's the idea. Well, and it comes full circle, right? You know, Walt Disney world was, was billed and remains the vacation kingdom of the world because unlike Disneyland, the idea was it was a place that you came and vacationed for a week. There was only one park. There was only a couple of hotels. You had the campground, but they wanted you and there were so many things that were available to you to do, much like there still are, but I think it's sort of put on the back burner that allowed you to take a few days outside the park. You can go horseback riding. You could do archery. You could take, you know, a, a nighttime cruise. You could go, you know, Dick Nunes never got his his surf, you know, surfing wave machine working right. But the idea that it, there were simpler experiences, and I think to your point, Dan, you're right, because something like, you know, Look, a castaway key, right? Some that type of thing where there it is experiential, but it's simple and it's about family spending time together without standing in a queue, rushing to get somewhere, getting a fast pass, making an ADR. So your vacation at Walt Disney World is not necessarily exhausting and you need a vacation from it, but you're able right. to have that downtime and relax. Yeah, exactly. If you were tasked to add one country to World Showcase, what would it be and why? Now, assuming, uh, and just to make it easy for you, we'll leave any sort of financial and or political limitations out. So, so sure. none of those things matter. Yeah. Well, you know, I, the, the easy answer, I think, for a lot is, um, you know, South America and whether it's Brazil or Argentina or you know, whatever that looks like Chile, but you know, they're, they're definitely not in the, in the mix there. Um, and Brazil is a very vibrant culture. I've been there a couple of times and you, know, you think about Carnival, you think about the energy of the Brazilians. And I think there's a lot of opportunity there. And obviously there's been rumors for years about that, that, that coming. Um, and then um, there's uh somewhere along the line, I like the idea of Australia or New Zealand, you know, there, um, I, more art, the more and more articles I read, you know, New Zealand has, I think like the top four or five cities in the top 10 in the world, best cities to live in. And, uh, my cousin here in France his both his kids lived in New Zealand for a year when they were younger on a visa. And he said, it's kind of like going back 50 years. Everyone says hi to each other. No one locks their doors. Um, it's just kind of the way it was. And uh, then you, you put in all the sports they have and the, their, their kind of uh, lust for life. Um, that would be a pretty cool one to have. Once again, that's kind of like probably like Tron. You know, I love rugby, so I'd love to see something like that. But once again, I think that that wouldn't maybe necessarily the case. South Africa, that could have a great, you know, that could have a great story when you think about the history of that country and um, you know, making the changes they did without a civil war and all the strong and, and culture they have there. Um, so <laughs> I guess I kind of, uh, I, I kind of didn't answer your question because I just gave you a whole bunch of countries. So I don't, I don't know. <laughs> no, more than one answer is always, listen, it, it's always good because okay. you're right. There's so many different countries. I think we would want to insert in for a variety of different reason. Um, let's flip that question, right? Again, now you're in charge you have literally the keys to the kingdom, Dan, and and you are the the head of the Walt Disney Company. Where else in the world would you build another Disney park or Disney property? Hmm. 
Well, um, I think in, I don't know how long it's going to be 10 or 15, 20 years from now, I think India will be ready. You know, it's a lot of this is, um, and I'm, I'm looking at this, not just from a creative point of view, but all the check, all the boxes, income qualified, having the right, you know, that's why China works. Um, you could argue China could do probably three or four more magic kingdoms and still <laughs> have enough demand if you put enough across the country. Um, but I don't, I don't necessarily know if I would put another full size theme park. Um, I think there's probably other creative ways to have Disney experiences put in uh, and have available with different sizes without going all in. Um, I look at places like Gaylord Palms, you know, the way they do these huge atriums and it's just a, it's a freestanding kind of like a resort, the Great Wolf Lodge, when you look at what they do. Seems like Disney, and Disney's been thinking about that for years and has all, had all kinds of different ideas. But when you go all in for a, an investment like a theme park and, and hotels, and it's just, it's a big investment. And once again, I'm not going to say it's unwieldy, but I think there's probably smaller, lighter, lower investment um, opportunities to make. You know, Adventures by Disney has been chugging along for years. They're looking for the right formula because people want to have a Disney experience, but they want to have it in other places. And I think eventually they're going to find the key to that. They're going to figure out how to really start to to grow that and um, and and offer the Disney experience, but going to these other places, which they're already doing today. But I think there's a lot of potential there. No, I think you're right. I think Aulani is a great example, right? You, you bring the Disney experience to a city or somewhere else, even domestically. You know, Disney has always wanted to go to the Northeast, for example. And there was, you know, they had Disney stores and Disney theaters and there was talk you know, Disney's America is its own, was its own animal, but to have a an interactive, experiential Disney resort in New York or in you know elsewhere around the country, I think you're right. I think that's the next that's the next thing for people that maybe can't or don't want to or have been there, whatever it might be, want the Disney experience but can't necessarily get to the Disney theme parks. Yeah, yep, that's right. What extinct attraction in Walt Disney World would you bring back? <laughs> um, I think whatever the next version of um, 20,000 Leagues, bring back the Nautilus. And one of the reasons I'm, I'm remembering that, when I was at uh, uh, Discoveryland, which is the name of uh, Tomorrowland at Disneyland Paris, there's a great attraction next to space mountain called um, and I, I'm not sure if it's called Nautilus or captain Nemo, but it's a walking tour and you basically walk down, you take a, um, I don't know what they call those elevators, but you go down underwater and you go onto the Nautilus and you walk through and you see the the captain's quarters and there's a big octopus outside the window. And um, it's a really neat walkthrough attraction. And it just seems like if you resurrected that kind of experience, you could do something really neat uh, under the name of sort of adventure. And because uh, the Nautilus, that's just, it's such a cool visually. It's cool. Great story, great characters and uh, something along those lines. I don't think you bring back the exact one you had before with actual water even necessarily, but that would be pretty neat. Do you have a personal favorite attraction, any park uh, around the world or one that? you know, just still gives you that sort of wow moment experience when you ride? Well, you know, I, I, I change my, I think I change my answer every time I answer this question, depending on how I've been thinking about stuff. I'm kind of sentimental these days. 
And I remember when I was the operations manager at the American Adventure and Japan Pavilions way back in, gosh, 1997, 98, um, at least two or three times a week, I'd slip into the side door at the American Adventure and watch the show there. And just uh, very emotional, the history of the United States and at the end, uh, the music playing. And um, there's some great quotes, um, you know, from Mark Twain and, um, and Benjamin Franklin about history and the fact that, um, you know, that, that's the, the biggest downfall of any uh, country is having plenty, having too much. That's the biggest risk to any country. It's, it's happened over and over and over again. So I think there's some great lessons in that, that show. And it's just a really cool story and very patriotic. So I always, I always kind of emotionally reacted to that one. Um, the other one is um, Rock and Roller Coaster by Aerosmith. That's my wife's favorite, my favorite. I think it's, we love the music. It's our kind of music. It's 80s. It's smooth. It's upside down. It's just overall, I, I love the vibe of that, that ride. Love it. Uh, all right. So just to sort of start to wrap up and, and come around for full circle, um, you know, we we're talking about nostalgia and thinking back and, and sentiments. And, and one of the things I think about all the time, Dan, is is Walt's presence in the parks, uh, especially as as newer generations get farther and farther away from the man as and even as new generations of cast members get away from you know, knowing and understanding a lot about Walt. Tell me from your perspective, both from former cast member, executive level position, as well as guests, your feelings about Walt's presence in the parks, in any of the parks uh, around the world. Uh, how do you feel it exists today versus the past? Is it something that you feel is still present, should be even uh, more so, uh, so we don't lose sight of, you know, where this all really came from? Yeah, it's funny you ask that because we I've, I've talked about that many times with people and and employees and managers and HR and and I I concluded you know what it's not it's not key that people know who Walt Disney was and his life story and his history that's nice to have but it may not be very relevant to people who are working or employees that are working at Disney but teaching them what his vision was because that's that's real today. Walt Disney's gone, but what the experiences he was trying to create has not changed. And that, I think that's the genius. You go back, you look at the fact that he used to go to these carnivals with his daughters and sit on the bench and say, there must be a better way and created the theme park, created a three-dimensional space from his animated movies that people could go step into and be immersed and escape reality. That's exactly what Disney does today. Whether you go to a movie whether you play a game, whether you go on a cruise, you go to a theme park, um, that, that's that's exactly what the company's doing today. So I don't necessarily think it matters who he was. It's what his um, his belief and philosophy was and the fact that people understand what that is. We're here to keep people safe. We're here to give them warm hospitality, make them feel special, treat them as individuals. Uh, we want to put on a great show for them and we want to do it in a really uh, efficient way, you know, the four keys. And as long as people know that, they really don't have to know who Walt was. They just have to know how this company operates. And um, that's uh, that's probably where the the pride is. So um, something that Valerie and I talk often when we do our uh, our seminars, uh, she, she came up with this quote, which I love. She said, you know, what we're going to talk about today are very simple concepts, but not easy to execute. Don't confuse simple with easy. Um, I want to be fit. Simple concept. There's nothing to argue with that. But I, that means you have to go walk, work out three or four days a week, and you have to watch what you eat, and you need to get enough sleep, and you need to hydrate. 
Well, that's hard. Well, yeah, simple idea, hard to execute. And it's the same with theme parks. How do you put on that show every day for so many people at the excellence levels that you need to do that? And that's what I think people take pride in is doing the impossible every day at Disney. And that's what Walt kind of looked at. So it's, um, you know, it's not walking around memorizing Walt quotes. It's more about, I work in a place that has high standards and I know what they are. I, if it was Walt Disney came up with them, great. It really doesn't matter. I'm working for a company that upholds those. And I think that's where people have pride and, and striving to make that happen. And I think you can you can even extrapolate from that advice for somebody who wants to go to work for Disney. You know, having that sort of mindset, uh, you know, you can teach anybody almost to do anything. But but it's it's the mindset, I think, that Disney hires um, and, and elevates cast um, is because of that. Yeah. Yeah. We talk about that. You hire for skills, passion, and attitude at Disney. We really don't care about your skills because there's a really good chance you've never worked at Pirates of the Caribbean before. So we're going to teach you how to do that. Passion. Why do you want to work here? That's nice to know. Attitude. Attitude makes all the difference in life. And I used to walk the park. I would meet lots and lots of cast members and at like the one out of every 10 or one out of every 12 college program, I'd end up giving my business card and say, give me a call. I want to talk with you more because they just had something that was different than everyone else. They looked you in the eye. They shook your hand. They were sharp. You could tell they were interested. And that little extra, that little extra attitude they gave you for me, I'm like, I want to help you because I know you have something extra. And I just, it's hard to teach that. But there's just such a little extra effort to make. And I know I, I, I talk to people all the time. Well, I'm not lucky. I don't get these chances. I'm like chances are all around you. You just have to step up and embrace those moments and just don't be staring down at your phone. Go talk to somebody. The person you're sitting next to, that could be your next job opportunity. That could be your next engage. And people say, well, I'm shy. Well, you better get over that because it's the world revolves around relationships. That's how you get jobs. That's how you get opportunities. And so that's, those are the kind of people at Disney hires, those people that have that attitude say, you know what, you train me or don't train me. I don't care. I'm going to go do a great job, period. And when you can find people like that, they're like gold. Yeah. And you're right, Dan. It's, it's hard to teach that, but, and I think, and I think this is what you are. It's, it's easy to be an example of that and to show people. And if they choose to follow that lead and learn from that on their own, um, I think that's what makes an exceptional employee, an exceptional leader, certainly an exceptional cast member, which is what I have always thought you are both personally and professionally. I always appreciate chatting with you, you sharing your stories, you're sharing your insights about life in and out of the parks. I will link in the show notes to where people can find you at dancockrell.com. Um, just very quickly tell people, I know you have one book, two books. Yeah. Um, How's the Culture in Your Kingdom is my book that came out uh, last August. And we just came out with a book. We self-published with uh, Valerie and my father and, uh, um, and a couple other gentlemen, Jorge and Enrique, who are industrial engineers called Hardwiring Magic. And we just looked at how do you operate um, a world-class operation through the lens of an engineer. And so, um, and it's, we put it on Amazon. It's $3.99 for the ebook and $9.99 for the, the paperback, 79 page book. And uh, we're pretty proud of it. It's kind of a, a, a blueprint for any company that wants to put together how to operate like Disney does. And uh, there's a couple other in the works. So we'll let you know when those are ready to come out. Nice. I will. Uh, I'll link to those in the show notes over at wdwradio.com. Dan Cockrell, I sincerely appreciate you, brother, uh, for coming on again. We will have to do this again one day soon. Share some more stories. Thanks for having me, Lou. Great talking with you.
It's time for our Walt Disney World Trivia Question of the Week, where I invite you to test your knowledge of Walt Disney World's history or just see how well you pay attention to the details in which you see, hear, taste, even remember. If you think you know the answer, you can enter for a chance to win a Disney prize package. And this week's trivia contest is brought to you by you. And I'm not kidding when I say that because as part of the WW Radio Nation, you literally help bring every episode of WDW Radio to life, every broadcast from the parks, the contests, giveaways. They are all thanks to and because of and for you. And if you want to find out how you can help make that happen for as little as a dollar a month and get cool exclusive rewards as part of the nation, like monthly scavenger hunts, we do group video calls, access to our private Facebook group, shirts, stickers, monthly care packages, and much more. And by the way, it also helps our Dream Team project, which benefits the Make-A-Wish Foundation of America. To find out more and join the WW Radio Nation, you can visit www.radio.com support. Now, before we get to this week's question, we're going to go back, review last week's, and select our winner. So last week was all about the Epcot International Food and Wine Festival, which I went back to again yesterday. So good. And I told you last week that the first Epcot Food and Wine Festival was held in 1996. It was really the brainchild of George Calagridis. But your question last week was to tell me how long did the first official food and wine festival last? Now, I was clear because there was this sort of weekend-long wine festival that was held in previous years. But I was looking for that 1996 Epcot International-ish Food and Wine Festival And thank you if you entered, got this one correct, or again, we're creative with answers. And yes, quote, longer than one day is technically correct. Not necessarily what I was looking for, but kudos to you for being creative. But the first Epcot International Food and Wine Festival ran 30 days from September 28th through October 27th and replaced that one weekend festival that was held one time in previous years. Now look at the festival, which runs really from mid-July through late November which is not a bad thing. Anyway, I took all the correct entries, randomly selected one, and last week we were playing for a prize package that includes a brand new WW Radio pin and keychain and a bonus surprise prize as well. And last week's winner, randomly selected, is Zachary Medina. So, Zachary, congratulations. I'll get your prize package out to you right away. If you played last week and didn't win, that's okay, because here's your next chance to enter in this week's Walt Disney World Trivia Challenge. So this week, we're going to go from Epcot Center over to Disney's Hollywood Studios, because this week I want you to tell me, what was the original name of Walt Disney Presents in Disney's Hollywood Studios? Remember, Walt Disney's Presents is that interactive museum-like display and show and character meet and greet located between the Animation Courtyard and Toy Story Land. If you haven't been there, get there. It's so good. But what was the original name of Walt Disney Presents in Disney's Hollywood Studios. You have until Sunday, August 15th at 11.59 p.m. Eastern to go to www.radio.com, click on this week's podcast, use the form there. And again, this week you're going to play for the pin, the keychain, I'll throw in a sticker and a mystery prize as well. Also, be sure to stay tuned to my Instagram this, this week for another giveaway. No trivia knowledge necessary. I'm at Lou Mangiello on Instagram. So good luck and have fun.
That's going to do it for this week's show. Thank you so much for taking the time to tune in this week. I sincerely appreciate you spending and sharing it with me. I understand how valuable your time is, and I am incredibly grateful that we get to spend some of it together. And I'd love to continue the conversation, not just about this week's show, but anything in the Disney, Marvel, and Star Wars universe over in the WW Radio Clubhouse. That is our very fun, very friendly, family-friendly, and very welcoming community over on Facebook at www.radio.com slash clubhouse. Come over. Be part of the conversation, introduce yourself, and share any questions or things you want to discuss there as well. You can also connect with me on social. I am at Lou Mangiello on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, LinkedIn, and Pinterest. And please be sure to like the WW Radio page at facebook.com slash Radio and turn on notifications there and the clubhouse so you don't miss a thing, including, but not limited to, our Wednesday night live video shows over on Facebook every Wednesday, 7.30 p.m. Eastern. And by turning on notifications, you'll also get notified as I go live other times throughout the week, both from the Disney parks as well as at home and other locations like at sea. For example, I'm going to be live from the Disney Dream August 27th through 30th, and I'm going to be sharing, that's a Friday through a Monday, I'm going to be sharing live video on Facebook as well as stories and posts on my Instagram, I'm at Lou Mangiello, so that I can help let you experience the ship and see everything that's new and different. We'll tour the entire ship. Also, I want to get your questions, most importantly, answered while on board. Becky Mankin from Mouse Fan Travel and I, we're going to take you through the entire voyage from the boarding process through disembarkation so you can see firsthand, unedited, unfiltered, unproduced, exactly what the experience is like. This way, when you're ready to cruise, you'll know exactly what to expect. I'm also currently sharing how the pre-cruise process works and has changed and improved on posts in our Facebook group at www.radio.com slash clubhouse. So for example, I just went through the pre-cruise process, including filling out all the documentation on the Disney Cruise Line website, as well as on the Safe Passage website, so you can learn more about what you need to know and what you need to do before you even get on board the ship. I have shared links and detailed screenshots so you know exactly what to expect. But like I said, more importantly, when we get on board, I want to be able to show you the entire process. And if you have any questions, including things that you might want to know or see, you can post them ahead of time in the clubhouse. I've already posted a link there so you can share some of your questions. I'm going to literally bring your list of questions with me and we're going to take them live as well during the broadcast to make sure you have everything you need to know. Again, the best way to make sure you don't miss a thing is by liking the WDW Radio page and turn on notifications there, as well as joining the WDW Radio Clubhouse, turning on notifications there as well. And if you're thinking about cruising, I would love for you to join us on one or more of the group cruises that we're going to be doing starting in February. Our first cruise is going to be the Marvel Day at Sea Cruise, February 5th through the 10th out of Miami. We're also going to do an inaugural cruise on the brand new Disney Wish, June 20th, as well as a very merry time cruise on December 5th. If you go to www.radio.com, you can find out more information. More importantly, just go directly to www.radio.com slash events. That will take you to our Facebook page that has links to where you can get a free, no obligation quote from Mouse Fan Travel to join us on any or all of the cruises. In terms of other events, stay tuned to the clubhouse as well as the show and socials. I'll be sharing information and dates and details for our next meet of the month in Walt Disney World coming up in just a couple of weeks. You can also find out 
about my Momentum Weekend Workshop in Walt Disney World, November 13th through 14th. It's currently more than 50% sold out, but if you're looking to turn that thing that you love into the thing that you do and turn your passion into your profession, whether you are a blogger, have a brick-and-mortar business, social media, content creator, whatever it might be, if you go to lumangelo.com slash momentum, you can find out more and take advantage of our early bird pricing, which ends at the end of this month. I mentioned earlier in the show that WW Radio Nation, I want to take just a second to thank some of the new and longtime members of the WW Radio Nation family. I am sincerely grateful to and for you. I love you and I love being able to give back to you each and every month. I want to thank some new and longtime members like Brittany Griffin, Heather Nichols, Tim Brown, Ashley Scarpa, and Quincy Julian. Thank you, thank you, thank you again. To find out how you can help the show and get exclusive rewards every month, please visit www.radio.com support. And speaking of thanks, again, all I ask is that if you like the show, please help spread the word. I would be incredibly grateful if you could do it either by sharing out a link to this or your favorite podcast or just by taking a couple of seconds to rate and review the show over at Apple Podcasts. I want to thank Amanda Haybert, or Amanda Haybear, sorry, who says, I love listening to the WW Radio podcast. It brings me closer to Disney when I can't be there, and I love the in-person dining reviews. Keep up the great work. And Secretary Susie says, keeps the magic alive. I can't visit Walt Disney World as often as I'd like, but listening to WW Radio keeps the magic alive in between trips. Lose positive attitude and in-depth information about Disney World, as well as his fun guests and interviews, makes this the podcast I listen to each week. Amanda, Secretary Susie, thank you again so much. Again, just search for WW Radio in Apple Podcasts, or if you go to www.radio.com slash iTunes, it'll show you exactly how and where to do it. Finally, most importantly, again, thank you, thank you, thank you. I'm feeling excessive amounts of gratitude for you this week, just as I do, honestly, every single day. I know that a day does not go by that I am not grateful for the opportunity and the blessing that you give me simply by your friendship and by listening and just the community that you have created both in person and online. If there's ever anything I can do for you, please let me know. But all I ask is that you please continue to help choose the good, to find the good in everything and everyone that you do and encounter, and you'll pay that forward by being the good. And it's simple. It's just by by setting a positive example and, and doing positive things to and for other people because I promise you that positivity is contagious and we need a little bit more of that, I think, now more than ever. I love you so much. I appreciate you even more and I really do hope that this is your best week ever. So until next time, thanks again. See ya. Hey, Lou, this is Ryan calling from New Jersey. Uh, just got back from my honeymoon and, uh, to answer your question, my favorite food was, uh, the teriyaki chicken bun over in the Japan Pavilion. It was just, uh, not only was it good, it was just so much fun to eat, just the squishy bun. It was awesome. But, uh, I actually was on my honeymoon and I happened to see you when you were interviewing the chef over there near the Canada Pavilion. Didn't want to interrupt, but what I would have said was that uh, thank you for making my honeymoon special. I started listening to you a couple years ahead of our honeymoon, which got delayed because of COVID. But uh, thank you for being such a awesome, bright light in uh, this dark COVID world. And uh, I wish you nothing but the best, and I hope to meet you in the future. Goodbye.
Hello, Lou Mangello. It's Charlene Nagy, formerly of West Seneca, New York. I'm calling in from Epcot. I'm finally back in the park today. First time in quite a while. <laughs> I've just been traveling up in New York um, around Buffalo, West Seneca, Hamburg, you name it. I was there. Had a lot of pizza and wings. <laughs> but I wanted to call in and say that we have 183 days until our Marvel Day at Big Cruise with the WCW Radio Group. Could be so much fun. And then I know people have signed up from our running team for the upcoming races that have been um, announced. So I'm wishing them all luck, and I will try to be there to cheer everybody on. Love and hugs to everyone, and happy birthday, Lou Mangiello. Have a wonderful, magical year.